Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 45. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about bee pollen, a super nutrient for five pet problems. Natural answers to pad cracks and paw problems. Are there toxins in dog toys? And how the bow killing vet, Kristen Lindsay, was given only a one year license suspension. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher and Podbean. You can download those apps. I would definitely appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And lastly, if you've yet to do so, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and three free videos that's at veterinarysecrets.com or slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast, bee pollen, a super nutrient for five pet problems. Bee pollen is the food of a young honeybee. It's very nutrient-dense, containing all the essential amino acids, over 20 minerals, including calcium, magnesium, and iron, over 10 vitamins, including vitamins B, C, E, and D, enzymes, and 14 beneficial fatty acids. There are a number of health claims. Many of these are now being backed by science. All of these antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, and other components are working together to help the heart, skin, immune system, and fight cancer. Here are some specific benefits. First, for the heart and lungs. Bee pollen contains large amounts of rutin. That's a bioflavonoid that is known to help blood vessels, to help circulation, protect the heart, and decrease the chance of stroke. In particular, we use rutin to treat a specific cat condition called chylothorax. It was the only treatment that we could use to treat that condition. Weight loss and energy. Bee pollen is high in protein and increasingly used by those in the gym, for instance, to increase muscle mass, increase energy, potentially increasing metabolism and helping with weight loss. So it may help our pets that need to lose weight. Allergies and skin disease. This is often the condition that is getting the most recognition about. It is thought that topically applied stimulates new skin tissue growth, great for injuries. People are finding it helpful for aging skin. In animals, I believe the biggest benefit is orally. Pollen reduces the presence of histamine, decreasing symptoms. Dr. Leo Conway, MD of Denver, Colorado, reported that 94% of his patients were completely free from allergy symptoms once treated with oral feeding of bee pollen. Immune support. There are many nutrients in the pollen which can help boost the immune system. Dr. Mercola of Mercola.com claims that bee pollen has antibiotic type properties that can help protect the body from contracting viruses. It is also rich in antioxidants that protect the cells from damaging the damaging oxidation of free radicals. The gastrointestinal system. Bee pollen contains multiple enzymes that are believed to help in digestion. The enzymes help break break down the food properly for your pet so they can get all the nutrients from the food. The doses. Generally, these vary, but an average one would be about one tablespoon per 100 pounds for dogs. Start with a very small dose and work up from there over a couple of weeks. Pad cracks and paw problems. What are the signs? Your pet's pads are rough, cracked, and occasionally bleeding. Your dog is limping. Your dog or cat is licking and biting between his or her toes. What are the causes? Your pet's pads are like our running shoes and occasionally they become injured. Some pets are prone to repeated injury, so it's important to strengthen their pads. There are a number of different diseases that can affect the feet, but allergies are probably the most common cause of recurring foot pad infections. So what are some of the solutions? First, you want to treat the underlying causes. If your pet is a chronic paw licker, he or she probably has an allergy. Try a new hypoallergenic diet or consider a homemade diet. Diet itself. If your pet is on a very poor quality diet, change to a premium one. 
There's a specific veterinary condition called generic dog food pododermatitis. Simply by changing to a higher quality, preferably natural type dog food, you're able to solve the problem. Trim the hair between the pads. Examine the foot well. If the hair is matted between the pads, trim it out. Ensure that the thorn is not stuck in the pad. Supplement. A common cause of cracked pads can be due to a zinc deficiency. Try a two-week trial to see if this helps. The zinc dose is 1 milligram per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Vitamin E. This can be used orally and or topically. The oral dose is 100 international units per 10 pounds of body weight daily. It stimulates the skin immune system and is a potent antioxidant. Topically or moisturize dry cracked pads. Apply twice daily for 3 to 5 days. Essential fatty acids. Every pet with recurring pad problems should be on omega-3 fatty acids. We're looking at a therapeutic dose of 1,000 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. That equates to about one tablespoon of flax oil per 50 pounds of body weight. Stop the licking. If your pet just won't leave his or her feet alone, then make them taste bad. You can look at applying something like bitter apple spray to the foot to discourage licking. And after three or four days, the licking will generally stop. Vaseline. It's a very safe home remedy for crack pads. You can apply a liberal application to the affected area once or twice daily. Humidity. As with people, your pets have a higher chance of crack pads in the winter with low moisture content. You can plug in a humidifier to increase the humidity level in your house. A couple other things for interdigital cysts or paw cysts. First of all, these are cysts that grow in between your dog's pads. And they're actually a type of infection. First of all, you need to be keeping them clean. A ruptured cyst needs to be kept clean so it will heal and not become infected. Wash it twice daily with an antiseptic solution such as chlorhexidine. Trim the hair around the cyst to aid in cleaning. Compresses. A cyst that is enlarged but won't rupture can often be decreased in size by applying a warm compress directly to the area twice daily. Herbal. There's a couple different herbs to think about. One is aloe and calendula. The two herbs work really well in combination. They're available as a cream and they can be applied topically onto the cyst. They're going to deal with some of the inflammation and they're also antibacterial. Green tea or camellia. It may stimulate your dog's skin immune system and inhibit lump growth. The standardized green tea extract is dosed at 50 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Supportive tonic. Many of our older pets with lumps and bumps are in need of an overall herbal tonic to boost their immune system so they can better deal with some of these masses. This is a nutritive supplement for dogs and cats. You want to combine equal parts of nettle, a dandelion leaf, alfalfa, and ground flaxseed, or fish oil for cats. We're looking at a dose of one teaspoon per pound of food fed daily for dogs, one half teaspoon daily for cats. There's a couple homeopathics you should also think about. One is causticum. It's for cysts that tend to bleed. We're looking at a dose of one thirty seat capsule for 20 pounds of body weight given once or twice daily for at least 30 days. The other one, the other one is called Silesia. It's another remedy for interdigital cysts and it's also advised for the larger growths. We're looking at a dose of one thirty seat capsule per 10 to 20 pounds of body weight given every 12 hours for 30 days. And the last remedy I wanted to mention for pads, especially these dogs have pad injuries, um, is there's a over, human over-the-counter remedy called Preparation H. It's used for hemorrhoids, but it works really, really well on this damaged skin or the damaged pads. Um, it's one in practice where I've used a few different times. I had dogs that had completely lost all the surface of their pads, and that was the primary treatment. It was Preparation H. Because what it, first of all, it's acting as a pain reliever, so they all of a sudden they feel so much better. 
Secondary too, um, it actually affected blood vessel growth and actually sped up healing really something to think about it's called preparation h and the last thing i wanted to mention is also the use of honey of all the different things we discussed if you actually have an interdigital cyst or you've got a pad injury and the whole pad is gone think about using local um, raw unpasteurized honey as another option because it's such a good antibacterial topical home remedy Do dog toys contain toxins that can enter your dog's body? Recent tests of hundreds of pet toys, tennis balls, beds, collars, and leashes reveal that that many contain what researchers call alarming levels of lead and other harmful chemicals. Um, These recent tests were run by the Michigan-based Ecology Center, a non-profit environmental organization that analyzes toxins in children's toys and other consumer goods. Results are posted on the Ecology Center's research-based website, healthystuff.org. While the site explains that the project screening technology cannot identify the presence and concentrations of every chemical of concern, BPA for example, some key findings are worth noting. From the more than 400 pet products tested, 45%, almost half, had detectable levels of one or more hazardous toxins, including arsenic, chlorine, and bromine. Studies have linked those chemicals to reproductive problems, developmental and learning disabilities, liver toxicity, and cancer. Of the tennis balls tested, 48% contained detectable levels of lead. Research discovered that tennis balls made specifically for pets were more likely to contain lead than sports tennis balls. The lettering on one pet tennis ball, for example, contained almost 3,000 parts per million of lead and 262 parts per million of arsenic, a known human carcinogen. None of the sports tennis balls tested contained any lead. One quarter of all products had detectable levels of lead. 7% of all pet products had lead levels higher than the 300 parts million even allowed in children's toys. Nearly half of the pet collars tested had detectable levels of lead. 27% had lead levels that exceeded 300 parts per million. Pets are involuntary canaries in the coal mine in terms of chemical exposure, said Jeff Gearhart, research director at the Ecology Center. Pets, like children, have higher exposure to chemical hazards, and our data show that pet products are far more likely to have hazardous chemicals than children's toys. Then there's the other chemicals called phthalates, as well as BPA, that are used in plastics manufacturing to provide elasticity their products. These substances are known endocrine disruptors that mimic estrogen or act as anti-androgens. Another study found that aging or weathered toys increased the concentrations of BPA and phthalates. The toys had lower concentrations of phthalates than the bumpers, so that's good news. They had some other chemicals that mimic estrogen. BPA and phthalates can impact a developing fetus and have lifelong effects on the offspring of lab animals. This is the conclusion of researchers that the interaction of pet health and environmental chemicals is under studies. What may be a safe dose for one species isn't always a good measure for another, but the amount of BPA and phthalates that we found inside these dog toys would be considered on the high end of what might you find in children's toys. And the last part of today's podcast, pretty disconcerting, the one-year license suspension ordered for Kristen Lindsay. Veterinarian in the bow-killing case will also complete a probation period and required annual C in animal welfare. The Texas Board of State Veterinary Medical Examiners, tbv has ordered a one-year license suspension for Kristen Lindsay, DVM, the veterinarian at the center of the controversial Bokeling case. Lindsay will also be required to complete a four-year probation period with monitoring by a board-approved veterinarian, who will make quarterly reports to the board. In addition, she must complete an 
additional 6 hours of CE and animal welfare on top of the 17 hours annually required, according to Lori Jones, Public Information Officer for the Board. Uh, the t- TBVME reached its decision at its October 18th full board meeting at which the board heard the terms of the proposal. In the proposal, the administrative law judges had recommended a five-year suspension of our license, with four years of that suspension being fully probated with quarterly reporting, requiring CE in veterinary jurisprudence and animal welfare or other such classes the board deemed fit. The judges also recommended a community service requirement of at least 100 hours to be completed at a feline rescue, free spay-neuter clinic, or similar facility. The the judge's recommendation came after an attempt to resolve the case and mediation failed. An administrative hearing was held and Lindsay's subsequent motion for a partial retrial was denied after the judges found Lindsay failed to show good cause. The case against Lindsay began in 2015 when she posted a graphic update on her Facebook page about a supposedly feral cat that she shot and killed with a bow and arrow, accompanied by a photo of the smiling veterinarian holding her kill. My first bow kill lol, the post read. The public outcry was swift and overwhelming though an Austin County grand jury wasn't able to find sufficient evidence to charge her with criminal animal cruelty. Uh, the Texas board, however, found Lindsay in violation and moved to revoke her license. From here, Lindsay will have 30 days to appeal the decision, uh, which she did through her lawyer following the conclusion of the October 18th board meeting. So I will definitely keep you updated as to this case. And it, it really doesn't seem right that all she gets is a one-year license suspension based on her action, but so be it in the world of uh, veterinary board and how they deal with veterinarians. I'll let you guys decide. So thanks, you guys, for listening to today's podcast. This is Dr. Jones. If you've got some good information that you found it helpful for today, if you have any questions or concerns, feel free to send me an email. That's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Likewise, too, you can leave a comment under my blog where I'm posting all of my podcasts. And the blog's at theinternetpetbat.com. Once again, thanks for listening. I look forward to talking to you again next week. This is Dr. Jones.